بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد الکریم اما بات الحمد للہ جنائٹ از دا نائنتھ آف اوگسٹ ان دا ایئر ٹو تھاؤزینڈ اینڈ ٹوینٹی تھری الحمد للہ of the eminent companion, Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu So, with regards to the blessed dwelling of Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu in Al-Madina, it is related. The dwelling where he, i.e. Imam Malik rahmatullahi lived in Al-Madina, was no other than the dwelling of Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu Subhanallah. Recorded by Qadi Iyad in his Tartib Al-Madarik 1-124, Sheikh Abdul Aziz Ad-Dihlawi, Rahmatullahi, in his Bustan Al-Muhadditheen, The Gardens of Hadith Scholars, page 38 of the New English Translation. So his residence in Al-Madina, who eventually took, up, took it up as a place of residence, it was no other than Imam Malik. So Imam Malik, where he lived, He lived in the dwelling of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu. Subhanallah, a truly fitting abode for the honorable imam of the abode of Hijrah. Also, it mentions, written on his door was, MashaAllah, how well Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has willed. He was asked about that and he clarified. Allah the Almighty and Glorious says in Surah Al-Kahf, Surah 18 verse 39, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم ولولا إذ دخلت جنة قلت ما شاء الله لا قوة إلا بالله Why when you went into your garden did you not say what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wills there is no strength except by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Imam Malik rahmatullahi then clarified my house is indeed my garden meaning he should also mention it when he entered subhanallah recorded by qadi iyad rahmatullahi in his tartib al-madarik 1-130 sheikh abdul aziz ad-dihlawi rahmatullahi in his bustan al-muhaddithin the garden of hadith scholars page 38 of the new english translation so imam malik rahmatullahi he had the honor of living in the dwelling of ibn mas'ud that's number one radiyallahu On his door was written, MashaAllah. So people queried this. Is Why have you written, MashaAllah, on the door of your dwelling? And he mentions a verse. And the verse is in Surah Al-Kahf, where it mentions that the righteous said to the one who wasn't righteous, when you went into your garden, why did you not say, MashaAllah, la quwwata illa billah. What Allah the Almighty wills, there is no strength except Allah. Imam Malik explained, my house is my garden, <laughs> meaning my place of refuge. So the righteous man said to the unrighteous in Surah Al-Kahf, when you entered your garden, why didn't you say, MashaAllah? So when I enter my garden, it's on the door, it reminds me. So note, he honored the dwelling Imam Malik. Why? Because it was the residence of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu. It is also related about the Honorable Imam Malik Rahmatullah 
his place in the masjid of the Prophet was that of Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab. His place, where he studied, where he taught, in the masjid in Nabi was that of no other than Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab. Again, in the same references, Qadi Iyad in his Tartib al-Madarik 1-124, Sheikh Abdul Aziz Ahdihlawi in his Bustan al-Muhadithin, page 38 of the New English Translation. So what do you notice about Imam Malik? His residence was Ibn Mas'ud's, his teaching area was Umar ibn al-Khattab's. So again, look how beautiful. The Honorable Imam was truly blessed beyond measure. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have mercy upon him and forgive us all for his honorable sake. I mean, so this is not well known about Imam Malik. What is well known about him is that he was the Imam of al Madina, the Imam of the abode of the Hijrah. He never left the city of the Prophet Only once he went for Hajj. He loved the Prophet's city so much. He lived there and he died there. He's the unique Imam who didn't travel. Normally the Imams travel all over the world to acquire knowledge. He stayed in al Madina. But... How many know that his re- his dwelling was Ibn Masood's and his teaching area was Umar ibn al-Khattab. So note again, he was taking the full blessings of the holy city of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa In a report in Sayyid Muslim, number 6329, in the chapter on the virtues of the companions, Imam Ahmad in his Musnad, Abu Nu'im al-Hilya, number 242, Abu al-Ahwas, he said, I saw I saw Sayyidina Abu Musa and Sayyidina Abu Mas'ud when Sayyidina Ibn Mas'ud had died. So, stop in the report. So, two companions. One's called Abu Musa, very famous Sahaba. Another not so famous, Abu Mas'ud. Ibn Mas'ud has died. One of the companions said to the other, Atulahu taraka ba'dahu mithla. Do you think he has left anyone behind similar to him. The other responded, In kultu dhaq, in kana la yu'udhanu lahu idha hujibna, wa yashhadu idha ghibna. It is as you say, I, there is nobody similar left to him. How often did he hear when he was admitted and we were veiled, we were not present? How often was he present when we were absent? So, breaking this down, what were the companions discussing upon the death of Ibn Mas'ud? They were discussing, is there anybody who can take his place? And the two Sahaba, they asked each other, anybody similar to him? And the other Sahaba said, there's nobody left like him. And then they explained, how often did he hear when we were veiled? Meaning, he had access to the Surah dwelling. We didn't. We were veiled, he wasn't. And how often was he present when we were absent? Because so, what, who, how were they praising Ibn Mas'ud? They were praising his knowledge. Because we've lost his knowledge. Indeed, he was thus one of the very chosen servants of our exalted Lord, subhanahu wa ta'ala, to help his beloved messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa in his unparalleled task. <laughs> to reiterate the report. In Tirmidhi, number 3984, Ahmad in his Musnad 1-148, Mishkat number 6255, or volume 4 number 168 in the chapter on the companions in general. Sayyidina Ali, he relates that our beloved messenger said, 
ان لكل نبي سبعه نجباء ورقباء واؤتيت انا اربعه عشر verily every prophet alayhi salatu wasalam has seven eminent men who were the very security guards but i sallallahu alayhi wasallam have graciously been given 14 they asked ali manhum who are they ali radiyallahu said myself my two sons jafar hamza abu bakr umar musab ibn umar bilal salman ammar abdullah ibn mas'ud abu dhar and miqdad radiyallahu ta'ala so i mentioned this book quite a few times so what did the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam say every prophet had seven special helpers allah taala appointed for them but i been given 14 So these 14 were specially selected by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the Prophet didn't mention the 14. So they asked the Sahaba who heard this hadith, Ali, because who are the 14? Who are the specially selected servants to help Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? So Ali started with himself, because myself, Ana, Ali, my two sons, Hassan and Hussein, his brother, Ja'afar, his uncle, Hamza, So he started with the Ahlul Bayt to honor them, radiyallahu ta'ala anhu. Then he mentioned the two sheikhs, Abu Bakr and Umar, radiyallahu anhu. Then he mentioned the great ambassador of Islam, Mus'ab ibn Umar, the martyr of Uhud. Then he mentioned the great Mu'azzin Bilal. Then he mentioned the great scholar of the scriptures, Salman. Then he mentioned the aged and venerable companion, Ammar. And who did he mention thereafter? Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, handpicked by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then he mentioned Abu Dhar, the great ascetic, and Mekdad, radiyallahu ta'ala anhu. I conclude by asking my Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala's forgiveness for any shortcomings with regards to describing one of his most beloved servants after his chosen prophets, alayhi salatu wa salam. For after all is said and done, the ink and pages eventually finish, but not the endless virtues and rank of the magnificent special servant of our beloved messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam and jurist of this ummah our master par excellence the majestic sayyidina abdullah ibn mas'ud may he subhanahu wa ta'ala by his grace and mercy also allow us to be raised up with such a pure and lofty soul amen so as always i conclude with the words of the almighty and glorious so all of the verses i'm going to quote are linked to sayyidina ibn mas'ud In Surah Al-An'am, Surah 6, verse 52, Allah the Almighty and Glorious, He says, وَلَا تَطْرُدِ الَّذِينَ يَرْعُونَ رَبَّهُمْ بِالْغَدَاتِ وَالْعَشِيِّ يُرِيدُونَ وَجَهَا Do not drive away those who call upon their Lord morning and evening, wishing only to seek His pleasure. So like I mentioned again and again, who were the ones whom rasulullah was told sallallahu alaihi wasallam don't drive them away they call upon me sincerely every morning and evening there were six and one of the six was abdullah ibn mas'ud and similarly in surah al-kahf surah 18 verse 28 allah the almighty and glorious he says wasbir nafsaka ma'al ladina yad'una rabbahum bil ghadati wal 'ashyi yuriduna wajha وَلَا تَعْدُ عِنَاكَ عَنُهُمْ تُرِيدُ زِينَةَ الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا 
and keep your soul content with those who call upon their Lord morning and evening seeking his face and let not your eyes pass beyond them seeking the pomp and glitter of this worldly life. So this was also revealed due to the six and of course one of them was Ibn Mas'ud and like I mentioned Rasulullah would not leave their presence due to this divine command and they themselves would make excuses to leave the presence of the Prophet so he could fulfill his other duties. In Surah Al-Ahqaf, Surah 46, verse 11, Allah the Almighty and Glorious says, وَقَالَ الَّذِينَ كَفُرُوا لِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا لَوْ كَانَ خَيْرًا مَا سَبَقُونَا إِلَيْهِ And the unbelievers say about the believers, had this, i.e. Islam, any good in it, then these, i.e. early converts, would not have sabakuna would not have outstripped us. <laughs> so look how warped the understanding of the unbelievers. When they saw these slaves in inverted commas embracing Islam, they were thinking, we are chiefs. And these slaves have become Muslims before us. So they actually thought that's a sign that Islam's not the truth. <laughs> look how warped their understanding. <laughs> they thought if Islam had goodness in it, we would have been the first to embrace Islam, not the slaves. <laughs> So Allah Ta'ala, what, what word did they use? They said, مَا خَيْرًا مَا سَبَقُونَ إِلَيْهِ They would not have outstripped us. Sabakuna. And look what Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala does. He uses that same word and He reverses it. In Surah Al-Waqi'ah, Surah 56, verse 10 to 12, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala says, وَالسَّابِقُونَ سَابِقُونَ and the outrunners are the outrunners. They will be brought nearest in the gardens of bliss. Look how beautiful. The Kofar used it derogatory because they would not have sabakuna. They would not have outstripped us. Allah Ta'ala then uses the same word. The outrunners are the outrunners. They're going to be brought close in the gardens of bliss. And also in a very famous passage, Allah uses the same term. In Surah Tawbah, Surah 9, verse 100. The outrunners, the muhajirun and the ansar, and those who follow them in excellence, well pleased is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with them, as are they with him. For them has he prepared gardens under which rivers flow to dwell therein forever. Behold, that is indeed the supreme triumph. So here Allah the Almighty and Glorious says, the earliest of the Muhajirun and the Ansar, then what does he say? وَالَّذِينَ اتَّبَعُوهُمْ بِإِحْسَانِ And those who follow them in Ihsan. So what does Allah Ta'ala say about the Muhajirun and the Ansar? They have reached Ihsan. Islam, Iman, Ihsan. Allah Ta'ala says those who follow them in Ihsan. Allah Ta'ala is well pleased. Now, why is this verse such an important verse of the Qur'an? Because Allah Ta'ala has given you the blueprint for success. Yeah. If you follow them 
How can you follow them when you know nothing about them? Allah Ta'ala is saying, if you follow them in excellence, in ihsan, you will also be successful. We spent 95 nights on Ibn Mas'ud. That's one sahaba. Now you know where the excellence is. But people don't know who these people are that Allah Ta'ala is referring to. And the Tabi'een followed them. That's why they call Tabi'een. Those who follow. Tabi'een. The Quran says, وَالَّذِينَ اتَّبَعُوهُمْ those who follow them, there's an honorable title given to the Tabi'in. And what are they called who follow the Tabi'in? Taba Tabi'in. Those who follow the followers. Because Allah Ta'ala says they will be in paradise. That is the supreme time. Another passage. In Surah Al-Hadith, Surah 57, verse 10, Allah the Almighty and Glorious says, Audhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Rajeem, La yastawi minkum man anfaqa min qabli al-fathi wa qatal not equal amongst you are those who spent and fought before the victory. Ayu Hudaybiya. Those are higher in rank than those who spent and fought thereafter. But to all has Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promised husna, the beautiful reward. <laughs> Again, another very important passage. In Surah 57 verse 10, what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? Who is he talking about? He's talking about the Sahaba, nobody else. He's not talking about the Tabi'in, Taba Tabi'in, Oliya. He's only talking about the Sahaba. What does he say? Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not equal amongst you are those who spent and fought before the victory. So according to a hadith, the victory here is Hudaybiyah, which, which was written in the 6th or 7th year after the Hijrah. So any Sahaba who embraced Islam before the treaty, who spent their money and fought, the Quran is saying, they are greater in rank, darajah, than those who fought and spent afterwards. So the treaty of Hudaybiyah was the Distinguishing more between the Sahaba. Why? Because before the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, Islam wasn't strong. People sincerely were embracing Islam. They knew that the tide was against them. So it was more of a sacrifice. So those who spent and fought before the treaty, they are greater, Allah Ta'ala says, but than those who fought and spent after the victory. So let me give you a few names so you get an idea. Khalid bin Walid, Sayyifullah, the soul of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he embraced Islam after the victory. So no matter how much he fought, how much he spent, the Quran goes, he cannot match the companions who embraced Islam before the victory. So here's an example. It happened in the time of the Prophet He had an argument with Abdul Rahman ibn Uf, one of the ten prophets paradise. When they brought their attention to the Prophet the Prophet told Khalidaf, he goes, do not argue with my companions if one of you were to give a mountain of gold it would not equal even a mud or half a mud of what they give so what was the prophet teaching he was teaching Khalid you embrace Islam after the victory Abdul Rahman embraced Islam from virtually day one you can't match him he's only explaining the Quran right so the sahaba have their ranks but then just to make sure you don't make a mistake what does Allah Ta'ala quickly say stay after وَقُلَّنْ وَعَدَ اللَّهُ الْحُسْنَى But to all of them 
Has Allah Ta'ala promised a goodly reward? So Allah Ta'ala is telling you, I'm only talking to the companions. But then he talks to all of us. He goes, but all of them, I promise paradise. <laughs> now what's shocking? This is a verse of the Quran. We are so distant from the Quran. When a person goes, how do you know all the Sahaba were good? <laughs> There's got to be some rotten apples amongst them. <laughs> and the response is, you got a point, logic there. But the Quran negates it. Because <laughs> which Quran? He goes, Surah 57 verse 10. He goes, the Sahaba were split into two camps. Those who embraced and fought and spent before the victory and those who spent and fought after the victory. Allah Ta'ala separated them. Those who embraced Islam early, fought and spent, they are greater than those who did after the victory. But, But to all has Allah Ta'ala promised good. All. He doesn't say 70%, 73%, 79%, 5% were corrupt. All of them. He's promised goodness. And look how beautiful, just to go on a tangent here, is a hadith in Tabarani and Abu Nu'im al-Hiliya and Hayat al-Sahab. Abu Bakr Siddiq, Abdullah ibn Umar relates the report, Abu Bakr was sitting once with a shirt and he was holding the shirt together with a thorn. So he looked like a basically a, a, a poor beggar. You know, the made a makeshift shirt with a thorn holding it together. Jibreel descends. Jibreel alayhi salatu wasalam. And he says to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasalam, Allah Ta'ala has given you salam, ya Rasulullah. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasalam said, wa alaykum salam. Then he said, Allah Ta'ala, sorry, he said, why is Abu Bakr wearing that shirt? Why is he in that condition? So Jibreel asked the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasalam, the Prophet doesn't even ask Abu Bakr. He doesn't say, Abu Bakr, why are you wearing this shirt? He knew him that well. He answered on his behalf. Look what he said. He has spent all his wealth before the victory. What was he referring to? He was referring to this verse. He has spent all his wealth before the victory. What does Allah Ta'ala say? لَا يَسْتَوِي مِنْكُمْ مَنْ أَنْفَكَ مِنْ قَبْلِ الْفَتْحِ وَقَاتَلِ Not equal amongst you are those who spent and fought before the victory. Rasulullah was saying, he's not only spent, he's doing it in the best of times. Then Jibreel said, والسلام, Allah the Almighty gives him salam. So Rasulullah turns to Abu Bakr, والسلام, he goes, Allah Ta'ala has given you salam, O Abu Bakr. Abu Bakr blessed it is, radiyallahu. Then Jibreel والسلام, said that Allah Ta'ala is asking Abu Bakr, is he happy in this condition? He goes, he's destitute. He can't even afford a button. Is he happy in this condition? Abu Bakr Siddiq replies, how could I ever be upset with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? I am content with my Lord. I am content with my Lord. So why have I mentioned this report? What does that tell you about Abu Bakr Siddiq? If Allah Ta'ala says the Sahaba are in two camps, those who spent and fought before the victory are greatest, he spent all his wealth before the victory. Abu Bakr didn't even waste the money after the victory. He got it all in before. And the Prophet spoke on his behalf, meaning he's the greatest. And one last verse, in Surah Al-Fajr, Surah 89, verse 27 to 30, Allah the Almighty and Glorious, he says, 